Yeah, so Sean, I'll just say, can you explain how we know each other? <laughs> Mr. Edward, uh, so we met in uh, Croatia. Uh, we met in, uh, was it Kernica? Kernica? <laughs> I still push in that little town. But uh, Falling Lakes Hostel, right? And uh, uh, we had a few good conversations. We had a good meat platter, uh, a Croatian meat platter. Uh, shared some good moments, had some good conversations. Uh, hostel life, as you know, uh, uh, breeds social um, interactions and uh, kind of connects like-minded people together. And, uh, you know, the, the hostel we did stay at was very adventurous and we wanted to be uh, kind of nature centric and it kind of bred those types of people. So uh, we all we came together and we met there and uh, we just had really good conversations and uh, sad that had you had to go back so quick, you know, but you had you had your priorities. We I had my priorities. So uh, but, you know, with lasting impressions on each other, definitely. And uh, uh, meeting up right now, catching up is uh, it's nice, man. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to see you too, man. And what what made you decide on going to Croatia? Honestly, uh, it was COVID restrictions, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say I'm an anti-vax or anything, but I I just want my freedom. Like, uh, there's so many countries, including Britain, um, mm. Germany, U.S. In, in a certain extent, where <clears throat> kind of robbed our freedom. Like. Uh, I, I, I do believe in freedom, whether you get the vaccine or not, uh, to to travel, to live your life how it was in 2019. Like, I think people have forgotten what that life is. And for me, I've traveled that entire time and I don't want to forget how it is. So the reason and the destinations why I choose locations is uh, low, low or no COVID restrictions. So... When I was traveling before, I was going to Mexico because there was no really any issue with entering and beach communities had no masks and, uh, you know, you could go to the beach and you could live your life and I was happy. Um, I had an opportunity to finally do a long vacation and uh, I just did some research and I heard the Balkans didn't have many COVID restrictions and uh, I wanted to see it for myself. I wanted to be around an area that's beautiful. Uh, I also wanted to go somewhere where most Americans would not go to. Um, I know there's a stigma and 98% of the time it's true. Americans <laughs> are kind of annoying <laughs> uh, as, as travelers. So it's nice to be around uh, Europeans. Uh, just uh, they, I, I, I like the way they think. I like the way they enjoy their lives. I like the way they take vacation time. I like all that stuff. Uh, so it, I just decided to go Croatia. I'm just going to head south through the Balkans and then see where I'd end up. Um, so Croatia was a good starting point. I just honestly <laughs> looked at the map geographically i looked at uh um, zagreb i was already there so i was like oh what's the big city in the north that i could just start at i just chose zadar uh, and a, just a great starting point had the sea organs there had the solar light installation there that was a cool starting point to see that nice little coastal town then we jumped in and uh just just made my way south, hit up every town, as many towns as I thought, you know, met up with people, re-met up with people and uh, headed down through the Balkans. Um, that's why I started there. So 
how long have you traveled for like when did you start your first ever trip somewhere like you know i know because you travel by yourself what was that first trip you did by yourself well uh i so i got a really late start uh so i'm 34 right now my first solo trip was 29 so just five years ago uh seems like so long ago but you know 29 versus other europeans who take a gap year at 18 19 years old i'm 10 years behind yeah. I had no idea. I never stayed at a hostel. Um, usually traveled with a significant other. Um, and the reason why I did leave and do a three-week solo trip was because I had broken up with my girlfriend. I had a girlfriend of six years. We opened a business together. Longest relationship I've ever been in. And we're, it was it was toxic. It was, it was terrible. Like she, It got to a point where she didn't even want to travel as much as me. And getting out of that relationship, I literally just wanted to be free, complete freedom. And I, I don't know why, I don't know how, I just was like, okay, let me try this solo travel thing. So I, I was actually, I wouldn't say terrified, just I don't know if I would have liked it or not. And so I was on Reddit, actually, where I find a lot of my information. There's a group called Solo Travel. So uh, they have all types of stories and, and advice and uh people in general that have itineraries and i was like you know what like it, it gave me the courage i was like if these people can do it i could just try and see how i like it so uh decided to go and uh, did vienna actually with a friend so that was kind of cheating but after vienna for a couple days uh ended up doing madrid um dublin um man I can't even remember the destinations, but Madrid was a game changer. I love I love Madrid um, so much. I just met so many people. Just stayed at a hostel for my first time. Uh, Sungate One was the first hostel I stayed at. Went on walking tours. Uh, just hung out with people that were so lively. Oh, uh, we went to a, a Classico, El Classico. I remember. Uh, uh, everybody's staying at the hostel. There's like nine people that wanted that went to that game. So we all rolled through <laughs> all the different sections and different ticket numbers, and we all rolled through on the train <clears throat> together. We all got there and we all separated and went to our sections, and then we ended up watching the game, you know, all separately. But I thought that was super cool. Like never, never would have been in that situation had I been with other people or, or even waited for other people to travel because. Uh, it just wouldn't be the same as going with like nine total strangers on a train to see El Clasico. I mean, that's kind of a dream as you, you as a soccer fan <clears throat> can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, being in those kind of surreal moments, like, oh shit, I'm about to see Ronaldo. Oh, I'm about to see Messi. Like, they're going to square off. Uh, so uh, just moments like that where you would never have those moments back home and to have all the little moments that Definitely, I forgot about already, but I just remember the emotions that I went through, and it was like pure happiness, pure happiness. And ultimately, that's ultimately that's what we're all chasing is happiness. Um, simple as that. So, uh, yeah. So, what was the the situation at home before you went traveling? Was you with your ex girlfriend, and you had the business? And which business was this? So I had a, a business called Chomp Eatery. That's the one that I currently have still. And I had a donut shop uh, called DK's Donuts, which uh, me and my family ran together. So I had both those businesses, but uh, I opened the, the other one, Chomp, 
uh, with her. And so uh, she really wanted to get into the industry, get into the food business. She still is in the food business. And it's been, you know, ever since we met, it's been 11, 11 years already. So I guess she liked it enough to stay in it. Uh, but she's just, she became a different person. Um, she's very uh, angry a lot of the time, but mostly because of the stress, because she cared about the business. So it's, it came from a good place, but she took it out on me. You know, like I'm more of a free spirit. I wanted to enjoy my life. Like the whole point of making money is to spend it and, and enjoy it, right? Not, not just to sit there and keep making more money and just see a stack of money there. Um, no, you got to turn it into moments and memories. So I remember like I was supposed to go to Washington DC just to go visit with some friends. And she was like, no, I don't want to go. I'm like, your friends are going. I'm like, why, why don't you want to go? They're like, oh, I have this order I got to do. Like, maybe I can meet you up like halfway during the trip. So I was like, okay, let me, I'll actually, that was actually my first trip within the country as solo. Cause I was like, okay, I'll go for the first few days. And I walked around saw the monuments. I uh, got to enjoy, like, uh, I stayed at the Park Hyatt on Washington, D.C., so that was a nice hotel. So I got to enjoy all this, like, time away from her, and I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. So um, uh, it got to a point where I remember the day we broke up. It was September 1st, 2017. It was a good day to remember. <laughs> and uh, we had this huge argument at, at, the, at the business. We were screaming at each other inside the business in front of it, all the employees. And I was like, come to the office. Like, so we kept arguing, arguing, arguing. And you know what? I was like, I told her, look, shut up. <laughs> like, shut up. Like, can you answer me one question? And she was like, yeah, what? She, I was like, do you care about the business more than you care about me? Simple question. And she, she asked, she's a very honest person. Thank God. She said, yes. She said, yes. I was like, you know what? We're, we shouldn't be together. And so... Uh, that was the moment. Uh, then we had negotiations, uh, business negotiations, and then I got to keep the business. Uh, she got paid out. And at that point, I, Christmas holiday, you know, like, uh, I, I wasn't dating anybody. I was just like, you know what, let me, let me go on a trip. And so that's when I took that trip and, uh, it opened my eyes, man. Um, solo traveling is, is, it's just so freeing. It's one of the most freeing things you can do. Like the ultimate freedom just being in a place by yourself you're not really by yourself of course if you're staying in hostels so that that whole thing is a myth but just being able to do whatever you want whenever you want eat whatever you want talk to whoever you want sleep in if you want go party if you want get pissed drunk if you want like what do drugs if you want you can do whatever you want right yeah. and that's the ultimate form of freedom and that's that's what i love the most about it yeah and i think based on like the, the situation you've explained going from like a, a toxic environment to then being in a situation where you're getting a train with nine different people who you've met a few days before and you go and doing this uh, great experience of watching a football team and there's no it doesn't seem to be any negative energy that you're getting from people while you're doing it so you must have had this extreme feeling of just like oh wow anything's possible I remember that's what I felt when I the first place I went to on my own like, oh wow I could just do this more I could I could, I could go here, here here and it's like yeah you're chasing that uh first it's like a high it's like the, the, yeah. the high and like you when I when I feel like I go places by myself I feel like I'm chasing that that first time I went away yeah it's a, it's an addiction man it's it's a great addiction to have because you 
And now that I've been home for four or five days, uh, I mean, literally yesterday, I just sat at my house all day. I didn't do anything. I took the dog out for a walk a couple times and that's it. Like I didn't, I ordered food. And when I'm traveling, I'm like, I don't want to be in a hostel bed. You know, I want to be walking the streets or going to the beach or hanging out with people or just even kicking in the common area where you might interact with somebody. Um, I mean, in Costa Rica, like, I mean, there was a cacao ceremony and uh, after there's ecstatic dance, like when when is there a cacao ceremony in, in L.A. with an ecstatic dance on the beach in the middle? Of, actually, it was in the middle of the jungle with like <laughs> 60 people like there's a DJ there and nobody was drinking. You know, we, we don't drink. Right. So nobody was drinking. So it was like, whoa, like this is super cool. And like just be, and people on the dance floor, like you can dance however, which way you wanted to. And nobody would judge you. People were slithering like snakes. People were doing the worm. There was there was a dude that was really into kung fu, and he was doing kung fu on the dance floor, like <laughs> like 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 this. That's how he was dancing. Nobody judged him. Like it, it, he was doing barrel barrel rolls on the on the ground as a dance move. It's like and people were hyping him up, right? Uh, you know, friends were dancing. Friends friends were dancing with strangers. Like it, it just when you when you get those moments right in in england or, or la or you know where we're from like there's no moments like that but when you travel uh, you see other cultures and it's completely normal right in a hippie community like that ecstatic dance happens three or four times a week <laughs> and you just go to it and you, just, you have a good time and nobody judges you and everybody accepts you so that's that's the beautiful part of it so from uh, memory being quite poor from when i was in croatia Thanks. um yeah it was a few months i'm just trying to remember the the conversations we had and what we spoke about and i can't remember if you explained to me why you don't drink and i can't remember if you said you drank previously and it was there a reason that you stopped or what's Uh, what's the situation i'm i'm pretty lucky uh so i in my family my dad is not a drinker uh he has a, a really bad allergy to it but my mom and my sister they they can drink so whatever happened in the, uh, down the line with my genes, I, I have basically an allergy to it where I just don't enjoy it. Um, I did drink when I was in university uh, for a couple of years, but just, you know, one drink and I, that's it. Uh, it got to a point where I just realized well, it's not for me. Like I'll drink three or four sips and it'd be cool. And then after that, my body starts rejecting it. It doesn't taste great anymore. My I, I can't even swallow it anymore. Uh, I feel like really terrible i feel sleepy i don't feel social um so whatever it does to me it's it's pretty good i would say because i think alcohol is very much abused in the in the world and uh you know a lot of bad things happen to it from it uh people you know get drunk and drive or they make bad decisions um i know some people can handle it you know can have one or two and be fine but i just don't like that it kind of changes a person when they drink. Like the person you meet at the beginning of the night isn't really the same person you meet an hour later. Um, but I mean, as long as they're not sloppy, as they're not disrespectful, I can be around it. But yeah, basically I have like a huge allergy to it. I, I don't think I'll die, but it just, it's just not for me. So I'm very lucky in that sense to not have to deal with it as much as other people, but just because my body kind of rejects it. Yeah. I can't imagine being in a situation like you described where people are rolling around on the floor uh, in 
in California <laughs> where, where no one's had a drink. Yeah, yeah, no one's had a drink. Like, that, that was, and it was like 60, 70 people, and it was like, what? You feel so lucky, like, to be in that situation because, I mean, if you didn't make that journey there, if you didn't make the decision to go there and just be open-minded and even go to that event because when people think, oh, it's a cacao ceremony with ecstatic dance, like, what is that? I don't even want to go to that. I'm not interested. But a lot of the people that went to it were very open-minded. I'm open-minded. I know I know about that stuff. So I was like, okay, like, let me go. And going to it and being able to express myself and dance silly and foolish or whatever and just let my body move, I mean, that it was so liberating and it was so fun. Uh, probably more fun, most fun dancing I've had in a while. Yeah. And when was this? How long this was like two weeks ago. Yeah, this was in Puerto Viejo. Yeah, this was in a small town in the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. Has a lot of hippie vibes to it. Beaches everywhere. Um, just a chill environment. Uh, so that that's where I was at. And uh, I was with a group called Fireside. Um, and a place I don't remember what it's called, but uh, it was just in the middle of the jungle, right there. You know, you take a you take a tuk tuk there, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and uh, just kind of sit around. It was cool. We sat around a circle. We did um, a little bit of meditation. We did a cacao, uh, talked about intentions. Uh, people were making music before it also, like with drums and hands and singing. And literally, you could do whatever you want in, in this community. And um, it's not a cult, you know. It's like there's actually people, <laughs> there's actually people out there that actually just like to express themselves and be accept, accepted. And you could tell a lot of these people, maybe if they were in uh, Western society, they might be looked down on, right? You know, like fire tosser. They also had a fire show. Uh, they were tossing fire. Uh, I have a video on my Instagram. You know, they're, they're tossing fire. They're doing all kind of tricks and stuff. So this is all at the same event, man. So kind of cool to see people just expressing themselves and doing something different that they actually enjoy instead of being stuck kind of in the rat race that we're all accustomed to. Yeah, it's just the the norm, isn't it, for people in America have got it worse than England. I'd, I'd say you mentioned Reddit before. Do you follow uh, anti work? I see it all the time. Yeah, so I do see the anti work uh, subreddit on the popular section. Always two or three of them pop up. Um, I think that's a big topic, especially since COVID started. Uh, people are really seeing the light. Um, uh, just working too much. Uh, corporations and the greed that corporations have in general um, even even me my my recent experience is the airlines so i have a few credits about 400 dollars in travel credits that i couldn't use last year uh, i couldn't book those flights with those airlines and they expire after a year and the airlines aren't gonna extend it any further they're just gonna pocket it and that's money i actually spent so yeah. it's just kind of they deserve what they they deserve but um, hopefully there's some kind of reckoning because the little people are starting to see that, you know, corporations are just kind of in it for themselves and, uh, it should be, we should work less and be happier with our work, et cetera. Yeah. I think when you probably go to Europe or one of Americans who've come to Europe and they learn about, uh, for example, how much paid time off Europeans get, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> like blown away because is it 10 days minimum or is it 10 days maximum in america yeah it's two weeks it's two weeks but you know typically larger corporations may maybe get four weeks uh but 
if you're a part-time worker, you get no weeks. <laughs> so say a person has two part-time jobs. That's not a full-time job. That's two part-time jobs. So you don't get those days off. That's crazy. Um, just that's the situation. People work so much here. Um, I mean, I look around and I see people working at the grocery stores or at the bank or, you know, any, any, any place. And like, damn, like they're all paycheck to paycheck and there's no way of like breaking the cycle. Um, I call it, they're stuck in the matrix basically. That's, that's how I explain it. Um, and I don't know how else to help other people. Um, I think the only person I can help is myself hundred percent and I can just give people advice. And I think that's what I've been doing during my traveling is just, um, telling them what worked for me and hopefully they find something that works for them to really break out of it because it, life is for living man. it's not, it's not for work. It's not to support some CEO or some big company. It's to live your life. There's so much to see out there as you know. Yeah, you're not going to be on your deathbed and remember that time you saved a company £10,000 by some stupid thing you did at work. Are you going to remember the, the important things in your life, like your family or memories? And if you're in that situation where you're thinking about oh, stupid shit like that, then you've probably not lived your life and you're just going to be on your deathbed regretting it. And this it's sad that there's so many people that live like that where it's paycheck to paycheck and it's hopefully in america now it, people are waking up to it and you'll see change but i don't know what what does it feel like in america i know that i've got a friend who lives here yeah. uh, he, he's just gone back to kansas and he was telling me that the culture in america is like if you don't have a full-time job people pretty much are on your case like what are you crazy why don't you have a full-time job you need this 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 is would you say that's that's the same in california or is it a bit more relaxed um i would say it's the same all throughout the u.s uh typically the whole uh you know having a job uh having a house having th those are the big things is uh material things having a car those are all extreme extremely important things to people and um, I have friends that are, you know, also the marriage thing and the kids thing. I mean, that's a little bit old, old fashioned. So those those things are kind of being a little bit more flexible. But the whole having a job and, and working a lot and, and just dedicating your life to work, that's still a very prominent thing here. Um, I don't have friends that view life like me here. I think I lack a lot of friends that have the freedom that I do or even make the decisions to enjoy life the way I enjoy life because they feel like having a job is the right thing and that's what they want. Um, I, I can't relate to a lot of Americans anymore. That's, that's why when I travel to Europe and meet other Europeans, I just feel like I can relate to them more because we have the same frame of mind. Uh, it's, it's sad, but you know, I, I don't have as much love for the people here as I did before, just because I, I, don't, I can't relate to them. I, I don't have much in common with them anymore. Um, so that's the climate here. Uh, very much capitalistic as, as to the max, as our reputation <laughs> is. Uh, 
you know, it's about right now accumulating property and accumulating wealth and, and, uh, just, you know, you having as much money as you can. Um, but then, uh, what's sad is like by the time you're 50 or 60, that's when you will be able to enjoy it. It's going to be different when, when you are 50 or 60, your body breaks down and, uh, I just can't see myself doing that kind of, kind of stuff as my fellow Americans have done, um, or, or are doing. So what what got you out the rat race? Because I'm going to be honest, you're probably the most f- freest person that I fucking know. <laughs> when I, no way, man. 100%. When I, when I see, when I'm messaging you, and, or when I was just talking to you, yeah. I was like, fuck oh, me, this is like one of the most, he just has so much freedom. I was like, how's he managed to just <laughs> get his way out of the matrix? Like, What do you think you've done that's allowed you to get out, really? Yeah, so as much as I make fun of the American way and all that stuff, I mean, I was a part of the system, right, for the past, you know, 34 years. You know, I'd, I started working when I was seven. My parents taught me how to make change at the donut shop. So I was at the cash register at seven. My dad told me to uh, learn how to make donuts at 13. So I was eighth or ninth grade and I was making donuts. Uh, burning my fingers because the donuts were hot. And I did that every weekend, summer break, winter break, that whole time. Went to university at 18, graduated at 22. Uh, parents got a divorce and left me and my, my sister the business. So at 22, I was the owner of a business. So I had a fast track for all this stuff. So as much as I, I was able to escape the matrix and do all that stuff, I, I did get fast tracked because I had very lucky, like very lucky to have these opportunities. Purchased my first house at 23, 24, rented out rooms. So I lived basically with four or five people. It was a four bedroom house. So I had one room and I rented out three other rooms. So I was able to pay for my mortgage that way. Um, then opened up the second business with my ex girlfriend and then uh, ran that. Uh, so I was able, I, I mean, I basically did all that. Um, uh, the very American things, right? Um, had had cars, I always had a car, had multiple cars at one point. And then I think that first solo trip really did me in, man. I uh, just kind of saw the world for what it was. And then started uh, a couple years ago, uh, changing my frame of mind. Um, luckily also uh, investing, um, investing has been huge. I would suggest it to anybody. Literally, if you're scared of, Putting your money in certain things, you, I feel bad for you because you need to take risks like uh, property. If you are able to do property, if not, if buy stocks, if not stocks, mutual funds. Uh, you know, we talked about cryptocurrency as well. That's a whole new avenue of building wealth. Um, don't always make have the money work for you. Don't have it just sit there because, as you know, interest rates are terrible. Uh, if you have a saving account, it's 0.02%, 0.05% that you're getting. That basically, the banks are using your money uh, to, to give out loans, to give out mortgages, to give out car loans, to give out regular loans, um, to run their operations. They're using your money. You need to find a way to get your money and working for you. Even though it's a risk, just do it. So I would suggest that to anybody to, to make sure to do that. Um, but... Uh, what was the original question? I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, this was what we were talking about. We talked about like getting out the matrix. And I was 
I was going to slowly get to crypto because you, yeah. you, I've got friends who made money from crypto. Yes. And they they got in it about a year and a half ago or a year ago. Yes. And then when I met you, you were the person who I'd known who'd been in it the longest. Okay. And when you talk about when you told me how early you got on Ethereum, I was like, holy shit, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, the whole Reddit thing, um, I couldn't do it without Reddit. I, I, uh, I remember working at the donut shop one day, and this customer comes in, and a good customer, and he's like, hey, man, you heard about this Bitcoin thing? And this was like, I want to say 2015, 2014, whenever it was $300, right? So I, that's the first time I heard about it. I was just like, I don't know what the fuck. What, what this guy's talking about, like, whatever, like, and so I'm just actually, you know, a couple years go by, and I'm just, I, I like to read articles, I like to just scroll down, and it kept coming up, like, the, the prices and Bitcoin, and it's like, what is this, and I, I saw that it was, you know, worth, I believe at the time, one to two thousand, something in that range, I was like, man, had I, had I just listened to that guy and did some more research when it was at 300, I'd triple my money four times, five times my money right now, and so I just started doing research. And uh, like any other beginner, I, I downloaded Coinbase uh, and just to have the account open and uh, started looking into it. And this was uh, end of 2016. Uh, I started reading about it and I went on Reddit. And so I saw that there was Bitcoin. And then also on Coinbase, there was also this thing called Ethereum. I remember when I first looked at it, it was like 7 or $8 and Bitcoin was like $1,200 or whatever. It's like, damn. That's twelve hundred. This is like seven dollars. I wonder what this is. Okay, so I found a, a Reddit group that when I went in it, you know, the, the a lot of the Reddit groups right now is just moon boys. You know, like just kids that are just buying crypto and like, oh my god, it's gonna go to the moon and I'm gonna get rich, all this stuff. But this room that I was in, these guys were so brilliant. They talked about all kinds of terminologies that I had no idea what they even meant. And that opened my eyes to, I was like, these guys are fucking smart. Like, these are technical guys that are looking at it as a technology and, and giving good arguments versus Bitcoin. And I was like, this is great. Like, okay, uh, just kept reading. I kept reading. And during this whole two or three month time I'm reading, it goes from 7 or $8 to $10. And I'm like, what am I waiting for? Like, this is the risk that you just got to take. I just have money sitting there from my earnings. You know, I'm going to take this risk. So uh, we won't divulge into uh, my crypto earnings, but <laughs> my first purchase of Ethereum was like, all right, let me just throw $1,000 at this thing. So I put $1,000 at $10 Ethereum. I still have it to this day. So that gives you an idea. And uh, I never looked back. And uh, as the technology grew, uh, I remember it went up to like 40 or $50. And there was there was a this uh, Ethereum Enterprise Alliance that came out. There was an announcement that I believe two or three hundred different corporations were going to use Ethereum as to build on for their future blockchains. Some of these heavy hitters like J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, a lot of uh, supply chain companies that I recognize. I was like, this is going to be something, and like nobody knew what I was reading about it. like it was still very unknown like not definitely not like today and so i just i, I told a couple friends that's it and i kept doing it and a couple of my friends made some money off it but at that point i was like you know what 
this is the risk I'm going to take. If this becomes like Bitcoin, wow, like I'm going to be set. So, uh, you know, I continued investing um, now diving into DeFi, a lot of decentralized finance protocols where you can make four to 20% back on your cryptocurrencies because it's basically decentralizing finance. The, the system of finance right now is very centralized. So, you know, the banks run it, they have their regulations, they have their overhead, they have their CEOs they have to pay. That's all money that's coming out of guess whose pocket? Me and your pocket. It's not just coming out of thin air. Um, they're issuing out products and stuff. And with all this DeFi, get rid of all those people. You get rid of all the middlemen, you get rid of the banks, you get rid of all those things. And you're able to actually take out loans without having to submit paperwork. You can uh, provide liquidity, uh, basically become your own decentralized um, exchange where instead of you buying crypto from a group, uh, a company like Coinbase or Gemini, you can provide liquidity and make fees off of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. All these things are there available for everybody to use. It's just, it's confusing because it's different, but uh, the, the landscape is growing so fast. I mean, you, you see the NFT stuff, digital art, like people are actually creating art and making money off that and investing in that. And yeah, it looks kind of different and is not normal. It's not a physical painting or physical artwork, but if people give it value, you know, it has value. If one person pays a million dollars for something and the next person pays $2 million for it, there's value there. So might be foreign to a lot of people, but to a lot of the newer generation, I think it makes sense. And that's why there's so much value being thrown out there. And I see the value of it. Uh, being able to send cryptocurrency, just a simple thing as sending it. I can send it all the way across the world right now to somebody's wallet and it'll get there in like 10 seconds, 20 seconds. I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to like ask for permission from the bank to send, you know, $5,000 or whatever uh, through a wire transfer. That's going to take two days uh, and they don't work during weekends. Um, cryptocurrency is 24 hours available for you to use whenever you want, however you want. And I think that's a beautiful part of it. I think that the, the problem with it, which is what I'm getting my head around now, is like, Whenever I speak about crypto and when I've made money from it, I always say, yeah, but I made this amount in British pounds. Do you know what I mean? I always convert it back to the uh, currency that we're used to. So I, I, I'm not expecting you to have the answer to this because I don't know myself. But like, what, what do you reckon is going to happen? How are we going to, do you think we're going to shift away from that? From You're talking about fiat currency. Yeah. So what's what's cool right now that's actually happening? Uh, so fiat currency is definitely a thing of the past uh, and current. Okay, past and current. It's it's what we use today, and of course it's backed by countries, right? And they're they're printing these these this money. Uh, I think there's going to be uh, we're going to have a time in which we're going to. It's going to be shared. I don't think you can ever take uh, power away from countries because they won't relinquish it. They'll they'll never give up their power. But what's cool in the in the crypto sphere right now is that there's there are all these these things called stable coins. Uh, there's a lot of ones that are pegged to the dollar because the dollar is kind of like the number one currency right now. But I know that there's some that are being developed for the euro 
and also the Chinese are also developing their own, where uh, there's a digital version of that. Um, and so there, it sounds crazy, right? That there's just this digital dollar that's out there that is supposed to be pegged to the U.S. dollar. That's doesn't make sense, but every single one of the digital dollars isn't just made out of nowhere. There's a backup mechanism, depending on which protocol that's out there, uh, that backs it up. So one of them is called uh, USDC. That's a Coinbase. Coinbase has a stable dollar, and they back it up with actual cash because they have an exchange and all that stuff. So they, they back it up. There's also one called DAI, D-A-I. And that's backed up by the Maker uh, mm -hmm. protocol, which is uh, you can basically uh, buy the Maker token and also, um, uh, which that's sort of a backup to it. But also you can also open uh, loans uh, called CDPs, uh, collateralized uh, debt position uh, with Ethereum. So th these are these are all in the Ethereum network, by the way. And yeah. uh, and. Uh, so people can put down a certain amount of Ethereum and borrow it in DAI, which is a stable dollar. So your, your Ethereum's locked up. You take that loan and you can do whatever you want with it. And so once the price of Ethereum goes below a certain amount, you have a chance of getting liquidated, but that's the risk you take. But it's a, say you want to open up a business and you don't think uh, Ethereum is going to drop below a thousand. And so, uh, you take out a debt position on it and you're able to borrow DAI, convert that into actual U.S. dollars or even pay people with it uh, and then uh, open up your business or, or buy inventory, do whatever you need to do. Uh, Visa is big in this. Uh, Visa is working on a product that where you where you could actually use USDC. And so these things are all coming down the pipeline, uh, just a matter of time before uh, these things start actually coming out where you actually can use your crypto um, and it'd be like a dollar like you can use it as a dollar So you could either use your actual real US dollar or you could use USDC because there's backing to it just like how The United States is backed by the Treasury These protocols are also backed by their their programs or whatever it may be um, So these are all coming down the pipeline, but I, I don't think I don't think crypto will overtake any of these countries, but I think there will be a time in which they'll be all working together and maybe one day we'll be able to pay our taxes in crypto um, and do all that cool stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a while because governments are a little slow. Uh, but I think there will be a time uh, because there's there's benefits to all this stuff. It's it's a it's the next iteration of currency. Um, so I always give the uh, analogy. You, know, you have time for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, like, you know, when, as humans, we, when we were, uh, I think I told you this, when we were humans, uh, first coming out, we would barter, right? That, that would make sense. If I had a shirt and I wanted, uh, you, you know, a pair of your shoes, I would just be like, hey, I'll give you my shirt for your shoes. That's basically how we did trade. And as time went on, we decided to give. So at the time, it must have been weird if for humans to, oh, let me give you this round gold uh, metal and you give me your shirt. And they'd be like, well, this gold thing doesn't do anything for me. Like, but the shirt keeps me warm. It keeps me covered. It keeps me away from getting bit. But eventually uh, we all gave it value, right? So 
uh, as time went on also, everybody decided, okay, metal, metal has its value. But then, you know, paper currency came out of nowhere. Oh, paper currency. How, how, how is paper currency, how is this piece of paper supposed to have the same value as this piece of gold, which I value immensely? Makes no damn sense. You know, <laughs> right? It makes no damn sense. I'm not going to give you this piece of gold for that piece of paper that you just made out of nowhere. But you know what? It's hap it happened, and it's widely accepted to this day. And so with digital currency, cryptocurrencies, I think it's the next iteration of money. And of course, it's going to have its pros and cons, of course, pros and cons. And people are just kind of scared of it because there's so used hundreds of years of paper currency, thousands of years of uh, metal currency. Um, and I think they'll get their head around it um, in the next 20 years. I think what you pointed out before was the government being scared of it is because when you use this analogy of when the system changed from gold to paper, is that the system changed so when you get in this new cryptocurrency and it becomes valuable then the system has to change too so you, you made a good point before of you could send money to someone in hong kong snap at a finger with crypto it's not that easy with the current system so there's there's the cons of changing the whole system like what's going to happen with, say, if Bitcoin does become a usable currency in the world, then it's like, well, what's what's going to happen to the the actual system that's got in place? There's going to be there's going to be knock on effects of that. You mentioned before as well about how someone could lend Ethereum, yes, and use that to start up a business. Or and then they would be liquidated. I, no. So you could. So right now, you know, if you want to take out a loan uh, for any anything, you have to run your credit report. Uh, you have to go to the bank. Where else are you going to get a loan through the banks? So instead of uh, going to the bank, say you have Ethereum. You, you, that's your collateral. Okay, that's that's digital currency that has value. So all you do is you go to this protocol and you connect your wallet and you. Enter how much you want to borrow and how much Ethereum you want to put as collateral into this little system. You hit the button and how much exposure you want, how much risk you want to take, depending on the percentage, that determines how much they'll are willing to lend you. And so you put your Ethereum there, it's still yours, but it gets locked up. And so it gets locked up, but then you get whatever loan you wanted, uh, depending on how much risk you wanted to take. Uh, so for example, I don't know the exact calculations, but say you want to borrow a hundred thousand dollars and, uh, you had $400,000 of Ethereum, uh, you want to put in at the current prices at 4,000, you, you want to borrow a hundred thousand worth of it. So you put in there and if it goes below say a thousand dollars per Ethereum, then you'll actually get liquidated. So you, you'll lose that. But then at, during this whole time you get $100,000 in die that you can use freely. So as long as the Ethereum doesn't drop at a certain point where uh, you'll get liquidated, you have that 100000 to use it whatever you want. And then once you use it, maybe you use 100000 you make 120000 As long as you pay the 100000 back, you get your Ethereum all back. So it's just a cool way of basically getting a loan digitally uh, yeah. without 
going through any banks or governments or anything and, um, and decentralized and using it. Um, that's basically what's out there. Um, and then the whole uh, decentralized exchange stuff, uh, you provide liquidity. I've done this before where you basically put equal parts, say Ethereum, and let's say equal parts Shiba Inu, uh, <laughs> coin. Uh, so you put it in there and uh, as people make trades, you become part of a pool. So uh, the say the fees are like 1%, 2%, 3%. For every trade that's made, in relation to the percentage of the pool you hold, you get um, you get a fee for that swap. So you're basically becoming part of an exchange. The problem is is that if people want to buy a bunch of Shiba, uh, the you get paid back in Ethereum. So the Shiba will get depleted. Eventually, if there's so much uh, demand on Shiba, your 50-50 goes 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, and you could be possibly completely liquidated. You will still have the equal parts Ethereum that was to Shiba, but uh, you'd have to buy more Shiba to be part of to get those fees again because you basically uh, lent up your assets to be used in that protocol to make the fees. So there's could there could be impermanent loss. There's a risk to it as well, but uh, there's definitely benefits if those to stay stable and there's a lot of volume on it, you just make money on fees. And it could be a lot if there's not a lot of people that are actually being a part of the protocol instead of they're, they're, instead they're just trading. Uh, the traders are what pay the fees, the liquidity providers are the people making money on those trades. And how does it's this carry kind of, on? It's, it's kind of another cool avenue that's out there uh, where people can you know park, park their crypto and make money off of it. Well, how does this compare to and the normal procedure so as a business owner yourself you i'm assuming when you opened the business up with your ex-girlfriend is that you went through the current system so can you see the, the benefits of using crypto compared to the actual current process that we use definitely um so a new business if you open up a new business and you, you've never opened a business up before you go to a bank and you pitch the idea, I don't think you have a high percentage of getting a loan. Uh, with crypto, if you have, say, 100,000 in crypto, uh, you can use that money as collateral to uh, plug into this protocol to get actual cash, which is uh, the stable, stable dollar. You would take the stable dollar, you would and this is a loan, so you're not taxed on this at all. This is a loan. So in the U.S. Uh, uh, tax system, you don't get taxed on loans. So you take out a loan, so you get you can get $20,000. That's your lifeline. You would have never been able to get uh, a loan uh, any other way through the traditional bank unless you had collateral. And even then, they wouldn't, they, they might not give it to you. So now you, you have the 100000 Ethereum. You take the 20000 in crypto, you, you uh, in stable dollar, you 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 put it into, uh, you can either pay people with that, which isn't available right now. You can't really pay people with that, vendors and everything, but all you have to do is take it to an exchange, cash it out, turn it into fiat, and then transfer it to your account. You can use it as fiat at that point. The government asks you questions. Okay, yeah, look, I, I had Ethereum. I plugged it in here. I took out a loan. You show them all this stuff. The governments don't know this yet but about any of this stuff, but it's out there. 
so if they ever, if you ever get audited, if they have any questions, you tell them, look, this is what I did. I took out a loan. I didn't sell it. I took out a loan. So I was able to take a loan, to, uh, turn it into fiat, and then actually use it to build my build my business, make my business, pay people, whatever it is, because it was it was in there as a loan. It's 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 come very complicated for me. As I mean, I know tiny bits about crypto. Watching the the market and seeing how certain prices increase by thousands of percent is just it's very interesting to see. You know a lot more about the the technology side than I do. I'm currently, as you know, I've only got crypto.com at the yes. moment because I think that's working the most on the marketing campaign. And it seems like that's going to be the thing that hopefully breaks the, the mainstream. I, have to, well, I sent you that, that picture the other day of a small town in Czech Republic with a giant, <laughs> a giant crypto. Huge. huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like, that sunk in for me because it was, I was in a, in the cinema in Prague and it was Matt Damon walking on the, on the screen talking about crypto. I was like, this is weird. I remember talking <laughs> four years ago and people were like, oh, shut up. Tell me to shut up when I talk about it. Now you now it's becoming normal. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. How was, what I wanted to get to as well, is like you've spent time in El Salvador. How was that? Because that's the first country that's made Bitcoin usable in the, let's say the real world how was that experience uh it was actually kind of sad uh very sad so their infrastructure is just i mean this is an extremely poor country uh it's beautiful don't get me wrong they have beautiful natural resources the people are extremely friendly uh, they have a reputation of being the murder capital of the world whatever but uh i did make a visit to Bitcoin Beach uh, while I was there. Uh, I believe this was in July or June. So they're just starting to get rolled out. Uh, it's going to take a while for them. Uh, just like the whole crypto sphere, it's going to take a while um, before everybody kind of understands it. Uh, Bitcoin Beach, I think there was like four or five different places that had uh, Stripe, which is a, one of the Bitcoin providers there uh, that took payment in crypto. But I mean, the whole Bitcoin beach was just dilapidated buildings and it was very poor still. Uh, in terms of excitement for the country, I know people love the guy, Bukele, I believe is the president. They love him. Like they're, they're, they have his back. Uh, I don't know the, what the election was, but I know people flew in from overseas just to vote for him because they supported him so much. I met a few people that did that. And so they, they really like his forward thinking, And but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I mean, I think the country doesn't even have Wi-Fi. Like, I think 70% doesn't have Wi-Fi or something. And so that's a rule. If, if the place doesn't have Wi-Fi or internet access, they don't have to accept Bitcoin. But I think eventually in the next three months, six months, I don't know the time frame, but everybody that has internet has to be set up to accept Bitcoin as payment. So they're putting on all the necessary steps. They're actually buying Bitcoin. The president has an account connected to El Salvador. And I just saw an article that he bought on the dip. He bought like 
500 more or 500 more, whatever the amount was. He's buying the dip. Like the president of El Salvador is buying the dip for his company. And so I think he's banking on that. He's banking on uh, buying it at this price right now and hoping it goes to 100, 150K, 200K, whatever it is, so that his country can get out of a hole uh, and have it appreciate more than, you know, because he uses a US dollar. Uh, but most places are still going to use the U.S. dollar. Um, I mean, I don't see that country using Bitcoin all over the place for another 20 years, 15 years. But, I mean, it has to start somewhere, right? I invested. I had to start somewhere. You invested. You had to start somewhere. And you know, I, had, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And you kind of had no idea. And they, they don't really have any idea how big of an undertaking is. But look at now. Like, I'm very happy with decisions I made. Um, you're happy with the decisions you've made. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be happy, you know, five years, 10 years down the line. I think he's doing the right thing. I, I really do. Um, he's, he doesn't want to be connected to the U.S. dollar anymore, as he has been for all these years. He wants to go to something more advanced. He wants better for his people. Um, it's, it's very commendable. Um, so uh, people know about everything that's going on, which is cool. The education system is good. And they actually even gave out free Bitcoin to everybody. I don't remember the amount. Uh, it could have been $50 in Bitcoin. But, I mean, that's a lot of money for, you know, people in a poor country just to uh, educate them and give them uh, something to use. And, 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 and so he wants to do be part of this revolution. Uh, and it's beautiful because I know right after he did that, I believe eight to 12 other South and Central American countries decided to come together and talk about maybe integrating themselves as well. They haven't done it as legal tender, but they're talking. Uh, that's big. You know, it starts somewhere. And it, it sparked other countries to be interested in it and maybe making it their own. And if they're successful, then these other countries will also want to jump in. What's that? in comparison to America? Like what rules are they trying to pass in America around crypto? Uh, what do you mean? So when I say, when I go on Reddit and I look at the cryptocurrency subreddit, I see some people post like they're trying to ban cryptocurrency in some parts of America. But sometimes I read everything with caution because it's like I struggle to believe that everything that i see on my phone is going to be true so you might have more of an idea living in america and being from there it's like what has happened to cryptocurrency is there any laws against it or is yeah yeah i understand uh so right now uh there's definitely it's on their radar so you know the market cap is uh almost hit three trillion so that's a lot of money that's generated uh, from cryptocurrency that people are giving value to. So the U.S. is definitely interested. Uh, they, there's legislation now uh, that will determine what, honestly, the United States doesn't care, okay? They just want to make their money off of it. They just want to get taxes for it. That's all they want. They don't yeah. care that it exists. They just want to, they just want to know that when you buy it and when you sell it and you make money, that they get their cut. That's what the United States wants to do. So that's the only thing they care about. They, they, they think their, their currency is still number one. They don't, they don't care about that. But 
when you convert it from a cryptocurrency to a US dollar, oh yeah, they they want they want their cut. Yeah. And so that's the biggest agenda right now. Um, I don't think it'll ever get banned in the United States uh, or many Western countries. Uh, I think just the whole taxation part is the most important thing to them because they want their portion. And for now, it's going to be in U.S. dollars, but I think eventually they might tax us in the actual cryptocurrencies once they get their uh, their wallet set up or whatever uh, as of now. But it's moving slowly. Uh, I would say nothing will be set in stone uh, until like two or three years from now um, uh, when when things start passing. They're throwing they're throwing a lot of it into other bills. So you'll have a bill with like all this other kinds of spending and then randomly there's a cryptocurrency thing in there. So I don't think that's fair. I think they should do it on a separate basis, but I don't think it's grown large enough for them to really put down the hammer on it. Uh, right now it's just basically they as of now, the market, uh, the government's treating it like a stock. So, you know, if you buy it at a thousand and you sell it at 4,000, whatever profits you make, uh, if it's if you had it longer than a year, you're taxed at this bracket for long-term capital gains. If you had it less than a year, you're taxed on it uh, short-term capital gains, which is your tax bracket uh, for your like your earnings, your regular earnings. That's basically how it's done now. Um, and I don't see that changing for at least two or three years. Uh, but there's definitely stuff coming down the pipeline. And I know a lot of European countries, they're starting to write up their own rules uh, regarding it. I uh, don't remember exactly what they were, but uh, I was reading something that uh, they had very specific uh, concerns and questions about different types of currency. So they were okay with the Bitcoin. They were okay with Ethereum. They were okay with all these like decentralized cryptocurrencies. They had a problem with the stable coins, actually, because yeah. it, acts, it acts like a U.S. dollar. It acts like a euro. So yeah. they don't actually like that a lot. So that's going to be a big problem for the European Union, at least. That's what it seems like their biggest concern would be. But uh, it's all it's all talk right now. So there's stuff coming down the line as as the as it grows. Yeah, there's going to be definitely more stuff. I know China is super against it. They shut down basically all the Bitcoin farms in uh, in China already. And so all the hash, all the hash rates, uh, all the Bitcoin that's generated is no longer number one in China. It's all all across the world now. So I think they're uh, they have their own way of governing. You know, it's their way, or they, they don't want to share their power. So uh, I think they're, they're they're currently working on a digital yuan. Uh, I don't know how that's going to look, but uh, that's what they're working on. So every country has their own version of how they want to regulate it. Maybe have their own just there's just so much going on that uh we don't really know uh until it actually happens yeah so one thing i also wanted to get to is on, on a day-to-day -day basis when you were traveling around how often did you manage like because you have your business back at home how often did you how often did you manage that or do, do you just have that much trust in your employees that you just let it do its thing yeah, so um, I'm a little reckless, I guess. I mean, I've, uh, some of these employees, I had one employee for nine years um, that I trust with everything. Like uh, he's even he's even on my life insurance. Um, yeah. I have other employees that have been with me for five or six years. So at any point, if anybody gets mad or sick or whatever gets ill, I have to fly back. 
um, that none of that has happened. Uh, usually before I'd leave for a week, so nothing really happens in a week. This was a three month trip, so nothing happened. Uh, I know, I know it's some, uh, sometimes they were struggling or whatnot. So, um, I had to, uh, it felt bad for them, but they, they got through it. They're very resilient. So at this point it's all about trust. And I made sure that they get, they got paid more, uh, because they're taking on more responsibilities. And yeah, I made a, a little less money, but I was able to enjoy my life. Uh, in terms of crypto, I just kind of put it in something that was safe, uh, just uh, interest-bearing accounts. I didn't really do anything crazy, so I was able to get you know three to eight percent back on my my crypto on that uh, during that time, and I wasn't able to do anything. I, I don't really feel comfortable traveling with like my digital wallet, my ledger with me, and my computer, and then opening it up and seeing, you know, having people see what I'm doing at, at this point. But if I travel for long term, I might have to bring it with me just in case um, something does happen. I have to, you know, you know, there, there are hacks that happen. You know, there are there are these things that happen in the crypto sphere where uh, you might have to address it. And hopefully I never become part of that. I feel like everything that I've been into has been relatively safe. But I guess just having trust for people, I know. There's always a saying, uh, you hope they take a 20 and not a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, I know it's sad, but you, you, you just have to put trust in them. Um, you know, if they are stealing, hopefully they take only $20, not a hundred dollars. And, but I think the relationships I've built with them, um, they trust me as an owner. Um, I trust them as people. I have respect for them. I never yell at them. Um, I'm never disappointing them. I actually, and I don't believe the customer is always right. I've had plenty of times where a customer would email me and be like, hey, this person wasn't really friendly or like he turned me away. And I talked to my customer. I mean, I talked to my employee and they told me they were the most difficult person they've ever had to deal with where uh, they came in with a bad attitude and they were yelling at them. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I got your back. Yeah. These are the people that are in the trenches with me, not that one customer that comes in for a smoothie that had a bad experience or was having a bad day and gave it to my, gave it to my employees. I, I, I have good people around me. I feel like I'm a very good judgment of character. Um, and so I am just very fortunate. I'm very lucky to have those people with me. Um, and adds to my happiness because I don't know if I, if I didn't have them, I probably wouldn't have the business because, um, I, I, I need to have trust. I need to have trust in these people um, to really carry on. So uh, as I've been traveling, I just make schedules and I do payroll. <laughs> That's all I do. It takes me about an hour uh, every one to two weeks. And uh, I'm able to just kind of enjoy uh, whatever waterfall I go to or beach I go to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been nice. It's been nice. Very lucky. Definitely very lucky. Well, I don't think that's luck, to be honest. I think it's your approach. Because when I speak to people, for example, when I've had jobs in the past and you work for tyrants or you work for people who just like scream at people or just be knobheads, as we'd say, it just creates an atmosphere where people don't want to work. And I think that's what you're getting in America now. This mass resignation is people just sick of all this bullshit they've got to put up with because you have these people who think because because they pay you money then they control your life it's like it's, it's bullshit it's bullshit and i think you, you it's, it's nice to hear that you obviously have your own business and you're not treating people that way and the benefit you're having it 
of that is you've got employees who are staying there for what six years did you say six seven years eight years yeah i have a few employees that have been there for i think three or four employees that have been there for about five years and i have one guy that's been with me because that's nine years so i mean he, he was a dishwasher when he first started he washed dishes and then started helping customers and then doing inventory and then doing my accounting and then manager and almost like a manager in my life now so uh you put you put the trust in those people because you can't find those people anywhere like like over the course of that time I, I went through hundreds of employees and to have these people you just you sit with them you listen you you treat them like your friend and you don't treat them like your employee you treat them like your friend i was calling this guy when i was in croatia i was calling this guy when i was in cyprus and we'd have an hour-long conversation about you know work and then what i was up to and how his family was that's that's the relationships you need to build you stream like friends you respect them if they need days off you come back and you take you make sure they get their days off you don't treat them like shit they're they're going they don't have to do this they can work for anybody else they decide to work for me so you got to treat them with respect and i think that's the most the number one thing is just treating people with respect the uh, that's plain and simple. Like any, everybody wants to respect. I want to be respected as well. Like even if Bill Gates, you know, I walk by Bill Gates, if that dude doesn't respect me, who cares about that guy? Like you have billions of dollars. I don't care. Like it comes down to saying hello, respect. That's all it is to me. So. Yeah. Well, it's just the, the numbers people have in the bank or the wealth that they have doesn't make them a better person than, somebody else it's the same with the, the paper thing you were talking about like oh well, let's talk about the okay we're going to give you paper currency so in england you could have a fiver you could have five quid and in america you could have a hundred dollars two pieces of paper but the worth more it's, it's like it's worth more but it's just two yeah. pieces of, and it's like i had a point i had a point there mate and it's completely yeah. gone i had a point with something but uh yeah, it's just like we've decided that 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 it's just it's fucking paper at the end of the day, and it doesn't just because someone's got more digital papers in their bank account doesn't mean that they can talk to you like shit, or doesn't mean that they're more privileged to have a better life, or people in management positions. It's like okay, you can respect them, but it doesn't make them a better person than you just because they're in this position of power. I think the most important thing that I've learned. Is to be open-minded like uh just you shouldn't you shouldn't ever stop learning i feel like the day you stop learning is the day you grow old and you start deteriorating um just because um i know more stuff about certain people and certain things doesn't mean that i know this the same amount of things about what they're good at um you have to be open-minded you have to just take in a, another person's culture be humble and just take it in and make it your own. Like they, they could teach you something. Like I've learned so many things from so many people on my travels and I just take it in and I'm like, damn, these, these are cool people. Even like first time solo travelers. When I, when I meet them, I'm like, Oh, is this your first solo traveler? Yeah. Like I just, I just, I'm three days in. I'm like, honestly, like I tell them, I'm like, I'm proud of you. Like so many people back in my country, back in your country, they, they'll never taste this. They always have to go with a significant other. They have to go with a parent. They'll never go. Um, and just seeing the accomplishments of people um, and letting them know that, that look, you, you did good, like you did good. And seeing them for who they are, I think that's 
the most liberating thing for me. And then I tell them my story or I tell them about stuff that I, and I can tell, I could tell if they're really into it, I don't mind sharing with them just as much as I'm into, you know, learning more Spanish words from a Spanish speaker or uh, learning, you know, travel tips from this other person. Like there's always something you can learn as long as you have that open-mindedness and you kind of crush your own ego. Um, the worst people are the know-it-alls. So those are the worst people that, oh, I could do this better. or I know this. And uh, they try to chime in on anything. I think the most impressive thing is when a person's like, I, t I say something to somebody or they say something to me like, what is that? Can you tell me more? I think mm -hmm. that's the most amazing trait a person can have because it, it's like they're, they're, they, they're curious. They, they want to know more um, about that topic. And uh, I think that's, I love, I love that trait in people. I think that's the most attractive trait in a person, man or woman, uh, most attractive trait is just wanting to learn. You said then that you so if you meet somebody who's solo traveling and you say to them that oh you're proud of what they're doing what reaction do you get from them <laughs> they're almost like confused and <laughs> they're like uh they didn't expect it because i don't think people say say that often enough like you know they, they always say oh cool like you know, they don't really give them credit for it. They're like, okay, cool. Like, how do you like it so far? They kind of just uh, kind of talk about it. But uh, giving them encouragement for doing such a, I think is such a big task. And especially when I see like 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds doing it. Man, when I was 18 or 19, I'd be completely lost. I mean, I think I'd figure it out. But I, I never made that decision to, to go travel at that age. And these people did. And so they're planting their own seed. So when they're 30, they're going to have 10 years of travel already, like under their belt. And they're going to be still younger than me at, at this point. And I'm just like, damn, like, I know you're going to love this. I know you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to have a great, happy life if you continue to do this. Um, of course, like work's get, work gets in the way. So you know, there's family. But I could tell in a lot of people that it's in their blood. And even if they don't do it, as much as me per se at this moment in my life, they'll still have it instilled in them and they'll still learn stuff and they'll still apply it to their, their lives and, and for only for the positive. And even, even if they get robbed or, or they miss their bus, like those are all teaching moments and they, and, and they're going to take it for that. They're going to learn, learn about those mistakes and they won't make their mistakes in their mid twenties or thirties or, or whatever. They're going to learn when they're, when they're 20 years old. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it just adds to the individual story, doesn't it? Of like wherever they are in the future, they have different memories than other people. What is common for other people to have? So when, for example, an average thirty-year-old who's never been traveling in America won't have the same life experiences that they do, getting lost in Croatia and they've got to find a way back to the hostel at one in the morning or whatever, whatever it is that's going on. What? What's been the biggest or the most important thing you've taken from traveling, like from a life experience perspective? What's been the most eye-opening experience you've had? Wow. Uh, there's so many. There's so many. Uh, just being fortunate enough to be in places that is not your home. Uh, I mean, I've been to... I've been to Thailand, I've been to Chiang Mai, I've been to Bangkok, seeing the hustle and bustle of Bangkok and the relaxation of Chiang Mai is a little 
city, not a little city anymore, but, you know, it's more of a chill city. Being in the Maldives and seeing the ocean, it's just an aquarium down there. You, you look down and you see 30 stingrays just swimming in the water and beautiful coral reef. So we went to Japan and trying out their toilets. Like, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think those Japanese toilets are the most amazing things. Like, Western culture is doing it all wrong. Uh, those, that, that, that changed my life, too. I have two of those toilets in my house right now. Well, um, I've never seen them. You never experienced a Japanese toilet. So they're called a, a washlet. Uh, so uh, it has multiple functions. Uh, so a heated, heated toilet seat. Nice. Uh, and instead of using uh, tissue paper, there's water. So it literally sprays water. You know that carnival. You know that carnival game where you spray water at the hole. <laughs> that's, that's that's what's going on. That's what's going on. And uh, and there's also a dry cycle as well. Uh, so all this, all these things, you spend a little bit more time on the toilet, but you're using water. You're not using paper anymore, so that's conserving. Um, you know, I have I have this analogy that I tell people. So. Uh, you, you know, say you're walking your dog, right? And your dog ends up taking a poop. You don't have a bag, you don't have anything. So you have to pick it up. So you decide to pick it up with your hand. So you, you have to you grab it, your hand's nasty, you find a trash can, you throw it away, but your hand's dirty, right? So when you go home, do you just use a, a piece of paper to wipe your hand? I don't think so. You at least use water, soap and water preferably, but you at least, at the very least, use water. To clean up your hand why do we do the same thing why don't we do the same thing to our our butts right so to use water to use dry i mean i think that's more hygienic personally and we're using less paper and messing up our you know pa paper you know papers uh you know we have to do we have to cut down trees and make paper so oh uh, that's my that's my argument with it i'm telling you it changed my life it's better for your health it's it's just better in general i'm telling you it's, it's just it just sounds nice to be honest <laughs> you it's amazing to. the water is warm uh if you have a good one the water is warm it also oscillates uh you know it goes up and down oscillates so i mean it's it's just the best it's just the best i i i, uh, I only have good things to say about that things like that small things like if i had never gone to japan i would have never experience a toilet like that they sell these at the airport man that's how that's how big they are yeah. yeah at the airport they sell them you could buy one of these at the airport uh not the whole toilet just the attachment that's all you need is the attachment to the the seat and then you just hook it up so things like that uh being in croatia seeing the beautiful beaches uh cyprus i mean i had no idea what to expect from cyprus i didn't know cyprus existed the week before i went there Hung out with the coolest people, uh, hung out with Russians, never hung out with Russians in my life. Cool ass people, man. Like all the bad rep we, we have about them uh, from the from an American standpoint, it's all BS. I mean, maybe I got lucky, but they, they're, they, they're just like me. They, they want to have fun. They want to go to the beach. They want to enjoy, they want to eat good food. Same thing. Uh, the warmth of the Mexican people, um, the crazy fans in Brazil when I went, went to Sao Paulo for the World Cup. The amazing food in Vietnam, oh my God, the French influence, the baguettes, the, the bamis, the, the vermicellis, the fuzz, the soups. Um, it's just so many things, man. I 
I take it all in. You, 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 you can't have one moment. You just take a bunch of them in and it kind of forms what you like and what you don't like. Um, and not everything I like. Uh, when I visited China, I, I didn't like China. I, I would be walking through a crowd and 60, 70 year old grannies would think I'm invisible and they would just hit me with their shoulder and I'm just walking through a crowd. They, they would not acknowledge you were there. They just walk right through you and they didn't care. And I, I thought that was extremely rude. Um, so, but now I know, okay, I went to China. I saw it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. Um, it's a beautiful country. There's beautiful things, but, uh, just socially it was kind of different and weird. And I, I, I didn't like that about that country, but, um, yeah, just so many things in the world, uh, to see. Um, and, uh, I don't think it's one big thing. I think it's a bunch, a bunch of little small things that you'll always remember. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the good thing that you've said there about, for example, going to China and realizing that wasn't for you is like, well, at least you went, at least you've gone. Some people just get stuck at the, I really want to go here. I really want to go there. And they never end up taking that step to actually go in there. And I feel like if you never take that step, you might actually never realize if you like what you want to be doing, which is why I think it's so important to do that such things such as traveling, because you can go, okay, I want to go here. And it might, you might have an amazing trip. And then that might spark an idea for you to go somewhere else. So for example, meeting yourself, um, and you were telling me how you're going to go further down the what would have previously been Yugoslavia to like Montenegro. And I was like, OK, that's interesting. I've never really thought about going there. And then we started talking. I was going, hang on a minute. I want to go to the, the football game, the Red Star Belgrave. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, then that starts like a, the idea starts rolling again. And then it's like you start to orientate your, your life around these goals and what seems like impossible in the past when you you first ever want to go on a trip, it becomes easier because you've got experience of managing your, your life better. You're 100% right. So you're in America now for three days. You've been in there three or four days? Yeah, about four days. Five days, I think now. Yeah. Five days, and now you're getting back out in, what, two weeks? I want to. Uh, I have uh, yeah, some paperwork i got to do in Cambodia. Uh, my mom's going, so maybe I'll head out there. Um, but... I just, I miss it, man. I, I'm back here and I, I, I didn't, I have asthma. Um, when I was traveling, I had no asthma. Uh, I felt healthy. I never got sick. When I came here, uh, my asthma comes back. <laughs> my, my skin gets itchy. I'm sneezing. It's too cold. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just something that I feel like I'm missing. I don't know. It, it's, I, I'm, I'm not saying I, I'm sick per se, but it's just, I don't feel a hundred percent when I'm here. I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I definitely have a few things I got to take care of here in terms of businesses and, and income properties and stuff that I, I do have some work, but, uh, just getting them all situated to where I need them to be. So I could go for a few more months and then, you know, entrusting all those people when I go, um, they know if I ever, if I ever need to come back, I, I'll come back and help them out. But for the most part, take care of take care of everything. So yeah, I, uh, my future. Uh, I do. Or if I go, I go to Cambodia. I'll definitely go to Thailand uh, and whatever else countries open over there. Uh, probably do two or three months. Maybe come back. 
Uh, backup would be Colombia and Guatemala. Uh, those are on my list of places I want to go to. I've never been to those countries, uh, the Southeast Asian countries I've been to already. But I do miss the food over there. I do miss the culture. Um, I have some family over there, so it'd be nice to kind of go over there and see see that country for what it is. Those countries for what it is, especially two years in the pandemic, they're them being the most uh, uh, strict countries. Uh, Asia in general is just strict in general. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I, my goal, my my goal is to travel nine to ten months out of the year. That's my goal. Um, I just posted on my Facebook. I spent uh, 169 days outside of the United States this year. Nice. I loved it. 169 <laughs> days. Yeah, uh, from January 1st to November 30th. So uh, that's that's a lot of months. That's five and a half months, six months of travel, basically. So I want to put that number up a little bit more um, for the next year. So nothing can replace just staying in exotic places and, and meeting people. Um, hostels in general have been the best things that have ever happened to me, just being put in a social situation. I know people here at home struggle with socializing because they're not allowed to because it's COVID, it's kind of weird. But when you go, when I, when I, whenever I travel, it's like these people are like-minded individuals that want to travel as well and they're social. And what people are missing during COVID, which is, you know, a social life, I never really was, I never really got away from it. I've, I've been able to be social with people, you know, meeting you, meeting everybody that I've met. That's made me the most happiest, man. Like, who, who cares if I did cliff jumping or went to the beaches or visit waterfalls? It's, it's who I was with, like. Those are the most important things. I, I could eat a amazing Croatian meat plate by myself, but I ended up sharing with you, Cal, and my uh, yeah. uh, Dan, uh, Danny, and that made it all the better. I mean, the, the, that's the moment you remember. I don't remember all the all the meals I had by myself. I, I remember the meals I had with other people. And maybe we won't remember every conversation, but we knew that there was good energy. We knew that. We got along. I knew we knew that we respected each other, and there was some kind of magic. And wherever I am, and wherever you are, the people that you meet, there's some kind of magic there. The universe is sending something to us. Some so, something we 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 can't understand it. It's invisible, but just take it for what it is. Okay, like I'm gonna I'm about to have a really good meal with some really good people right now, and that just simplify it, and that makes me happy. And simple thing just just be happy whatever decisions you make make the decision and make and, and make it for your happiness i think that's the most important thing yeah definitely i, li I like how you brought in the the, the universe you don't know what's going to be where, where it's sending you you don't know what it's doing so don't question it just go with the flow and just let it happen rather than questioning it and get, being afraid of what's going to happen you just think well i'm in croatia with some people i don't know i'm going to enjoy some nice food that's it. Whereas if you if you don't if you don't simplify it, you'll freak out. <laughs> correct, correct. And some people do freak out, but I mean that's part of their journey. That's part of their learning as well. So yeah. So what what have you got now for the for the rest of your day? What's your plans, Sean? <laughs> um, I have a little bit of travel hacking I got to do actually. Okay. Uh, so uh, 
headed off to get some uh, basically generating points to be used for travel without spending too much money. So say I generate $100 worth of credit card points. It only cost me $3, $4, $5. That's part of my, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but that's oh. also what I do on the side. Um, okay. uh, in the United States, there's a lot of uh, credit card companies that are around that uh, you can leverage their points into free travel. So um, I, I don't really want to get into my strategies too much because they're a little bit of secretive or whatever. Not secretive, but just I don't want people to know about them. But my flight from LA to Zadar was in business class, Lufthansa business class. Mm-hmm. And it cost me $90 and about 55,000 points. So in business class, it was like a $5,000 ticket. But it only cost me ninety dollars and fifty thousand points. So those points I would generate, my 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 ways of generating them. So it's about five or six hundred dollars worth of points. But uh, to generate fifty thousand points probably cost me like thirty to fifty dollars, and then I would have to just pay ninety dollars out of my pocket. Oh shit! So so one hundred forty dollars, one hundred fifty dollars for a business class flight to from LA to Zadar, Croatia. Uh, I flew home. I flew home uh, Malaga, Madrid to Costa Rica. It cost me 44,000 points through Iberia and it cost me a little bit more in taxes. So $130 in taxes, but I was able to fly business class basically the whole way as well. So that's why I'm able to travel a lot because I actually put in the homework. It's a hobby. Uh, it's just point miles. Uh, there's a lot of websites dedicated to it, but you do have to be a U.S. citizen to really use all the benefits. But um, one way of doing it would be to open a bunch of credit cards, hit the hit the spend requirements, and get the bonus. So, uh, for me, for example, if I wanted, if I saw a card I liked, I just apply for the card. Uh, say I have to spend four thousand dollars. Spend four thousand within three to three to six months, and then some. Some cards give me eighty thousand points or hundred thousand points free. So, and you're able to use this on travel. Okay. Uh, so you're not spending actual cash. You're actually spending. Uh, you're spending points. So it's the points have value, but to you, it's not cash. Yeah. And you're able to get all this because there's so much competition between credit card companies. So they always try to issue cards that are better than the other one so you kind of just play all all the cards all the banks and then you're able to just use the points for basically i would say free travel um it's like a different currency it's like a different (laughs) currency to to use for travel basically is it like a separate crypto currency crypto before it became crypto but only for travel um that's that's why I feel like a lot of people that are in this hobby also do crypto because they understand that just because it's digital, it's not actual money. There's still uses for it. <laughs> like the, the, this has been around for 15 to 20 years, points, using points and miles for travel. And now crypto has other other uses. So um, there's value in all these things, man. And just reading about it, utilizing it um, and figuring out what's what benefits you. I think that's the biggest thing. And I've kind of figure that out and uh, i don't know it's it's kind of normal for me to go through all these things because that's how my brain thinks but like 
I, I, I bring this up to other people and a lot of people are very confused at, you know, either whether it be cryptocurrency, whether it be travel points, whether it be, you know, how do I get from point A to point B? Like people are confused about it, but if I can teach them and I can give them tools, at least like give them recommendations, I don't mind doing it. Right. It's, it's not that it's not that hard. I don't think it's hard. All the stuff that I do, I don't think it's hard. It's just people got to make the conscious effort to spend two or three days just reading about it or a week or a month, however long it takes for them to read about it. It's all there. It's all out there. People are doing all this stuff. Other people are doing this stuff. It's, I'm not the only person that does it, but a lot of people are just so in the dark about stuff. Um, or what's worse is they, they're really interested in it. And I'm 99.9% .9 of people are like this, where I tell them, look, I do this, this, and this, I travel for free. And they're like, oh my God, I want to do it. I'm like, okay, go to this, go, go apply for this card and read this website. And I never hear from them again. And like a year, a year passes and they're like, oh my God, can you tell me about the credit card? I'm like, what the hell? I told you this a year ago. Like you could have like five credit cards by now. You could have 400,000 points by now. Like it, I, I always tell them one step, you do the one step and you come back to me and we'll do the next step. And a lot of people, they just, they're just not driven to do those things. And at that point, you just, you just kind of like, sorry, I, I can't help you anymore because you don't want to waste your time at that at that point either. I think even you just talking about it, I remember talking to you about crypto got me interested again in cryptocurrency because yeah. I, I told you I cashed out earlier in the year and then I watched the market dip in May. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I was interested in it for a bit. And then you were just telling me all oh, these details. I was like, fuck me, this guy knows loads of stuff. And then I was like, wow. It's like I was learning about the, the, the real technical stuff about it. Whereas what I did previously was just look at the graph, GRT, and go, I think that's pretty reasonable what they're trying to do. I'll put my money into there. And then I just thought, luckily, it went up. And then now when I speak to you about it, it feels like I'm learning about the actual techn technology behind it and what what you can be doing with it. And that's what gives it the value, not the just, oh, yeah, it's got a moon, ship to the moon. <laughs> All that is just people wanting to become millionaires from what they read in the newspaper article or in a Facebook post where it's like, I made one million pound in a year from crypto here's how you can do it and it's like yeah. so yeah I, I think you're right just you just giving people advice or just even talking about it, it does help and it helps people get out of the situation that they're in and take risks like traveling because they they learn something new but yeah anyway sean yes i think we'll leave it there you think awesome awesome we've covered hey, a lot Good to see your face again. Uh, hopefully, I see you at a soccer match or on the road again. Hopefully, man. Hopefully, I see you again. It's been a fucking pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what's your What's your future plans? Do you have anything lined up for the next three to six months? So, I want to go to that football game, Red Star versus Partizan. So that's in Serbia in February. Okay. That's my next plan. Really, I'm going to go home for two weeks. Um, on the 17th of December uh, and just see some family uh, work at my cousin's husband's butchers he's, he's got a business and I used to work there 
when I was 13, 14, uh, up until I was 19. And then because it gets very busy over Christmas, I said, I'm back for a little bit. I don't get to see you as much. Plus, for me, working in the UK, I'll get paid better than I get paid here. So it's like, nah, why, why not earn some money and then have a it's, – it's a fun environment to work in as well. So I'll do that. Then probably travel around the UK while I'm there. And I'm still working at the kindergarten in Prague. That's going all right. I mean – I don't know. There's a bit of management issues, but you know we won't get <laughs> we won't get into that too yeah. much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So probably Serbia, and then I've started doing online English teaching through Cambly. If you've heard of anyone doing this before? Yeah, heard of it. Yeah, I've been doing that, and to be honest, I've I do like the idea of having a permanent remote role because I just like the freedom that comes with it. You don't want to work fine you don't have to work that day what you want to log in for 10 hours and do a 10 hour slog fine do it <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I like what the freedom that 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 brings so i'm, I'm definitely going to do my job until maximum august minimum may sounds um, good sounds good then potentially see you again because my visa's sorted until april because remember when i met you i had the issue with the visa so it's sorted yeah. till april then it, they still could deny it again so that could throw me uh, but I would have to work around the three month thing again and the way I could do that is by doing like two or three weeks outside the Schengen zone pop back in so kind of yeah. border hopping so I want, I want to spend some time in Istanbul I definitely want to do like two weeks there I've heard really good things about Istanbul with now with this remote teaching that will enable to me to kind of have a not a free trip but it, it covers the cost of just being off work and then going back i can actually work and travel at the same time so yeah hopefully go to istanbul next year and serbia and then see see what else interests me to go sounds like a plan man turkey turkey's on my radar too so uh, could be could be over there, man. I, I know I might have to fly through there. So uh, we'll, we'll, if 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 it works out, we'll link up in Turkey, maybe in Istanbul, and then uh, we'll go from there, man. But yeah, uh, you know, I follow you, you follow me, and we'll. If you need uh, any other things, just let me know, man. Will do, brother. Good to speak yeah. to you. Yeah. Good to see you. Peace out.